Welcome to Fright Fix. My name's Suk. And my name's Celia. Celia, how are you doing? How was your holiday? Oh, good, thanks. I just came back from Wales. Um, I was just telling Suk before this uh, podcast that I am incredibly sunburned. So I'm not just in, like really embarrassed by everything you say. That's not why I'm bright red. It's just the sunburn. But I mean, a holiday in the UK, if I get sunburned, I'm kind of happy about it because it means it was at least a bit sunny. <laughs> I mean, it's hilarious out of all the places in the country you got sunburn, it was Wales. Yeah, bearing in mind I've never had sunburn before, and the place that got me was Wales. I mean, it's a bit ironic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, you're looking great, even if your face is in pain. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but how are you? How's the world of work? I feel like I haven't been there for a while. Yeah, I know. It's uh, It's been okay. Not much to complain about. A nice neutral. <laughs> Yeah, nice shade of grey. I love it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Just what we like. So this episode is kind of a special one because it's our 13th episode and it's also Friday the 13th. So what better film to be reviewing than the 1980s slasher Friday the 13th, directed by Sean Cunningham? Ooh. Friday the 13th on the 13th and it's our 13th episode I mean you couldn't write this this is perfect <laughs> find your Fright Fix anywhere you listen to podcasts and don't forget to follow us on social media at Fright Fix Podcast before we continue I'm going to give the spoiler warning so if you haven't already watched this movie please do so before listening there are lots of versions of Friday the 13th but the one we're going to be talking about is the original the 1980 Friday the 13th so a group of camp Cal counsellors are stalked and murdered one by one by an unknown assailant while trying to reopen a summer camp where years before it was the site of a child's drowning and a grisly double murder. The last counsellor alive, Alice Hardy, played by Adrienne King, must fight for her life against an attacker out to seek revenge. You know when I, when I was just reading that? The first line is a group of camp counsellors. I just thought of a bunch of counsellors that were very camp. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a completely different film, I feel like. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would be. <laughs> so I'm intrigued. What are your overall thoughts of this film? Man, I have no idea which direction both of us are going to go with this movie. I'm sure it's going to be exactly the same as it always is. Oh, it always <laughs> is. Just so, yeah, we're just so in sync like that. But um, so Friday the 13th, this is the first time I've seen this film mm. and I've heard lots about it. I mean, uh, most of the film felt very familiar, mm-hmm. like teenagers on a camp being stalked, being hacked to pieces. And in retrospect, you know, considering the film was made like almost 40 years ago, actually, yeah, Yeah. I think 41 years ago, uh, I can totally, totally see how so many movies were potentially inspired Mm. by this. So like, you know, the camp setting, the point of view angle from the from the killer. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like mega tame compared to today's standards in regards to like the horror, the gore, the acting pretty much everything yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> but there is something kind of evergreen about it which I can't quite put my finger on what it is but something that I feel has helped it stand the test of time and to me it didn't feel like a movie that was 41 years old mm. and um, I mean don't get me wrong I've seen like comedy parodies of this movie that are scarier than this film yeah <laughs> yeah 
but oh sorry can you hear wonder yet <laughs> just sorry. a few little barks <laughs> oh, dogs get dogs going crazy downstairs sorry um yeah they, I, I enjoyed the whole um student filmmaker vibe that this film mm. has I mean I don't think it was made by student filmmakers but it kind of felt very gorilla and very kind of low yeah. budget and I kind of enjoyed that but I think there's something kind of very pure and sincere about it the, mm. and, and the way it kind of uh puts way the film's put together i don't know if i was i missed it but is friday the 13th the guy with the ho- the hockey mask i think it is i think jace well yes it is yeah yeah because i was looking because for I, the hockey mask guy and i couldn't see him anyway <laughs> yeah i think it's in i maybe part two because i always get him confused with mike myers with yes. the other mask on yeah. so i knew jason was because I, I only really knew it was Jason because of um Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. Um and so I, I get yeah I was like you yeah, I was like waiting for Jason to come along with the mask. I was like it's been quite a long time. Is he gonna and then when it was revealed who it was I was like oh am I watching the right film? <laughs> no they definitely said Jason earlier. Yeah did, so yeah. I think that he comes later he becomes the kind of main um aggressor later. Yeah yeah so what were your uh thoughts on the movie? <laughs> quite similar. What do you know? <laughs> So I feel like I'm completely in two minds and on the fence about this film because on one side, you know, there's that element that this is a classic. Like it's one of the the movies that started this kind of slasher revolution of the kind of cheesy horror film. And I was really entertained by it. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think being entertained by a film, sometimes that's all you need. Um, And I enjoyed it and I didn't get bored throughout. But on the flip side of that, you know, I kind of had a few misgivings about it and I kept chalking up to that it's a dated film. Like you said, it's 41 years old. You know, things have progressed further. It was a 1980s film. You know, there's a few things I'll talk about later about the acting and things like that, which, you know, I didn't entirely enjoy. But I kept saying, oh, it's a 1980s film. Like, that's just how it is. But then I was thinking there are films like The Godfather that's almost 10 years older than this film, which is incredible. And yes, it doesn't have to use any CGI or it doesn't have to do anything that like with the deaths that it does in this film. But I think I've kind of chalked up a bit of the few things that I didn't like just the fact that it's quite an old film. But I do think that I might be giving it a bit too much leeway in the fact yeah. that, you know, it could it could have been better in some aspects. Yeah, I mean, there are older films that end, end movies made the same year, but the acting is superb. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, I, you know, there was that part of me that was like, I'm really enjoying this, especially, you know, the title sequence and the um, music and everything that goes along with it. Like, there's so much history behind it, especially as a horror fan. Like, you know, like you said, you, you pick up things, you think, oh, yeah, that's mm. they've used that in 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 newer films and knowing that it has such a long legacy of so many Friday the 13th films I think they've got Mm. 10 after this you know it started a revolution of these slasher films and I think that it would it's really interesting to watch that whether I liked it as a film as a whole I'm still not sure about and I think this (laughs) podcast episode might sway me either way we'll see by the end Uh, what did you think of the acting and casting? Yeah, so I, I mean, I didn't have an issue with the casting per se. I think, you know, they they chose a group of young people who they look the part, you know, they all have kind of slightly different roles, quite kind of generic roles of one's yeah. kind of the jock, one's the joker, one's the pretty girl, one's the intellectual, you know, they're, they're very, they very much fit within their kind of um, archetype, pre, you know, yeah. archetypes of, of who yeah. they're supposed to be. Um, and I did really like Ned as the comedic character. Oh, uh, the crazy was, one. Yeah, I, I thought he was kind of sweet and it <laughs> it felt like a real teenager 
having some fun. He was the one that annoyed me the most. <laughs> he was, but it it felt real because that's yes. what teenagers are like. Yeah. So that's what I kind of liked. I was like, oh, this isn't, um, yeah, it just got me in the mindset of what camp counsellors might have been. And, you know, they're joking, they're doing stupid things like pretending to drown and, you know, do it playing strip monopoly and things like that. You know, those are kind of real feelings. And I was kind of annoyed that he died so early on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he was the one that I thought was quite interesting. On the flip side of that, I don't know how you feel about this, but I really didn't, not re- I think that's quite harsh, but I didn't really like Adrian King, who played Alice as yeah. an actress. Yeah. I thought... I thought it was quite clunky and everything that she said felt very scripted and it felt like every movement she made was so staged and directed. Like she didn't, it felt like somebody said, okay, now you walk from point A to point B and you look over your shoulder after three seconds. Like everything felt quite (laughs) like on the spot. Like there's no kind of free movement and ideas and expression of kind of different, you know and and we've seen so many films where the acting is incredible and maybe it was a bit of a shock to the system to see a film which isn't trying to be an oscar-winning performance yeah i don't think that's the point of this film but no you know i still want to be slightly convinced about what's going on and so you know it kind of brought it back a little bit to like oh yeah i remember what film i'm watching and the reason that i'm enjoying it isn't because of the acting and it's not because of pretty much anything apart from the fact that it's kind of a classic um, and she does really stupid things like, I don't know how you felt, but when she was running back, she she got away from Mrs. Voorhees and then she runs back to the cabin that she initially was found in. And it's like, yeah. oh my God, she makes so many mistakes that you think, you know, when you, you think of yourself in that situation, you're like, yeah. oh God, yeah. why did you do that? And you're just kind of screaming at it. Yeah. Being like, oh, yeah. don't trip over a thousand times as you're running away from her. Like just... <laughs> So there was a few bits where, and it's not even a bad thing that I don't think that she was a great actress. I just think that the film doesn't lend itself to a lot of expression. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What did you think? I mean, I'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah, you touched upon one of the things I didn't like about the movie. Uh, but generally, on the whole, uh, in terms of casting, like for a low budget movie, because I think it was half a million dollars mm-hmm. that it cost to make this. And um, I mean, all the actors take it dead seriously like they Mm. say their lines dead seriously without any kind of sense of irony or Mm. I mean they probably thought in real life what they're saying is really stupid like the lines they're saying but they but they say it very sincerely and stuff and even like the opening bit of the movie so the post like after the opening credits of the movie they're like some like lines I just had to write down because I just thought they were so (laughs) cool like the bit where the old man the crazy man says to, I think Alice, no, not Alice, Annie is the character in the mm. opening of the movie. Uh, he goes to Annie, don't go to that camp. It's got a death curse. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, great. And then um, it's like uh, everyone in the town is like hinting that there's something wrong with the camp. Like, don't go there. I mean, some people openly call it camp blood. Yeah. And, you, know, they're, you know, they're all like the the things that happened there years ago whatever people that go there that don't come back and then Annie's just like come on there's something you're not telling me (laughs) do you want it to be any more obvious (laughs) yeah and I just got the impression like did everybody else record their dialogue separately from her and she's reacting to something different and they just Just chopped it together and you know yeah, that's such a good point. Like, there's, I remember there's a really awkwardly long silence when she's in the car with that other guy who's driving her towards the place. 
Yeah. And it just felt like they were in two different rooms because they're like, they cut like between that, yeah. each other and then they just don't say anything for ages. And then they just say like a random line that just feels very out of place. And you're like, what's happening? Yeah. You're like, I, what is this conversation? The only way I think they put that scene together, especially on a low budget, is I think they did one take where the cameraman was sitting in Annie's seat and just filming mm. the guy say all these lines. And then they did the same in reverse with Annie. And then they just cut the best takes together. And something got kind of lost in translation yeah. almost and made it feel a little bit... Yeah, quite possibly. And uh, But but generally, like, across the board with the actors, I I thought they were... I mean, I don't know if well cast is the word, but I, I had no problem with any of the actors, any of the... Yeah. And to be honest with you, I kind of I kind of loved the performances. I, okay. I, I, like, I was hooked to this film, like, from that... Mm everything from the opening murder scene and that whole little mini journey you have with Annie and then when you meet the the other counsellors like I was in I was sold I was in mm. and I don't know if this is just a I was kind of watching it ironically 40 odd years after the movie or and I, it'd, be, it'd be interesting to know what people thought of it of the casting and the acting back in the day but mm. you know it's probably going to be impossible to find that out now but but I kind of watched it as this weird kind of Napoleon dynamite yeah. type humour kind of like I just assumed it was one of those kind of movies and and I enjoyed it. I, mean, I don't know if you noticed the super young Kevin Bacon. Yes, as, uh, I had to look it up because there's no one with that side profile with his upturned nose. I was like, no. it's got to be Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to double take. And uh, yeah, then I Googled it as well and checked on Wikipedia. Mm. I was like, damn, it's Kevin Bacon. Yeah. And um, I love spotting actors in movies when they're like pre famous, mm. like when they just pop yeah. up and uh, in random roles. Uh, um, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, I was really rooting for Annie. Um, yeah like I, I thought she was going to be the main character in the film because you know so you spend, I, yeah yeah you spend so much time with her and to be honest I just found her so adorable like so sweet and uh but then when she got killed off so early in the film I was like oh and it's just it kind of like a bit psycho-esque I mean the movie would have come out about 20 years after Psycho when you know they get you hooked to a character and then they kill her off in the first act or whatever yeah but uh yeah and um I liked, uh, I thought Miss Voorhees at the end was pretty creepy, um, especially when she says lines, like, like when, when um, Alice is like crying and pleading with Miss Voorhees, mm. you know, something's going wrong here and stuff. And, you know, Miss Voorhees is just like, oh, it's just the thunder and, and this place, you know, that's why mm. you're upset and whatnot. And uh, it's just, even when she sees the dead bodies, she's her, just her reaction or her underreaction to the murders were yeah. just so unsettling. Like when, when she's like, oh, so young so pretty you know when she sees yeah. these dead bodies and it's so and, not what you expect no um, and it, yeah exactly and it kind of made it a bit more creepy like it kind of yeah. amplified the creepiness for me even though some would write it off as just terrible dialogue and terrible mm. everything like you know I don't know maybe I was just caught up in the movie and just uh yeah. I don't know maybe I was just uh, you just uh, went uh, for it yeah I was just fell victim to the movie and just yeah <laughs> yeah it's interesting that you say that you felt kind of connected to the characters, you know, that you were rooting for them. Because I kind of felt the opposite in a, in a way. <laughs> you wanted them all to die. <laughs> well, no, well, no, but so I completely, I completely agree with um, Annie's character. Like I, I totally was like, she's the main character. Like she's so happy. She's so smiley. Like she's just yeah. want to have a good time. 
And then when she dies, I was actually like, oh no, like I'm so surprised it happened so early. And I'm really sad that she's just left in this forest. Yeah. But then after that, because they started dying so fast, all these camp counselors, and because they died very quickly, as in from the moment that they were left alone to the moment that they were actually killed. For me, it felt like the stakes weren't very high because I knew they were all going to die. Like yeah, everybody yeah. has to die. And I was, you know, I was thinking, because I've never seen the film before. I was like, oh, well, somebody's got to survive at the end. Yeah. But everybody else has to die. So it was almost like even before they split off into this kind of singulars to be killed. Yeah. I was almost like, oh, well, that there's another one gone. Oh, Kevin Bacon's by himself. There we yeah. go. He's going to be dead. You know, <laughs> so yeah, it was like, I wasn't rooting for them because I knew they were going to die. Maybe it's like yeah. a defense mechanism. I was like, I'm just not going to feel anything because I know you're about to go. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. What's the point of even getting to know someone if they're going to leave your life? If they're going to leave me. <laughs> uh, I mean, did you have a favorite scene or a favorite kind of thing that the film did? Oh, man, lots. I, oh, good. I liked so, oh, Celia. I, I liked so much of this movie, and I'm really happy that you even suggested this film. And I don't know if I like the stuff for the right reasons, mm. but I mean, just generally, uh, I really like the kind of naturalistic uh, kind of setting that this mm-hmm. this film has, and I like that you know it felt like it was all on location. It all felt like real, like a real place. You know that kind of that camp. I mean, yeah. I think the, the camp is a, a real camp in New Jersey, which is still mm. operational today. So, uh, oh wow, yeah, and uh, yeah, and it just felt like a like the movie felt like a snapshot of late seventies America, mm. and I like that. It felt like you know all the products you see in the shop, like you know everything just felt real, and it probably was real, but it just felt like I was kind of peering into a photo or a, like a mm. vintage movie. I, I like that, and I've got a thing for like kind of Americana in general, anyway, and uh, yeah, it's kind of cool and. Uh, also, I also kind of loved how all the these kind of teenage counts, camp counselors, camp counselors. Yeah, <laughs> say that three times fast. Oh, <laughs> you know, I love how they all look like they were in their late twenties. You know, yeah. I, 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 I was in, I was in, I was sold. You know, I love the retro soundtrack as well. I think mm-hmm. that the score in general, I, I think the score still holds up. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, there's a lot to be said about using real instruments in a score of using like synthesized instruments yeah and um there's a lot of strings in this score and i i mean there's there's such a huge psycho influence that, that like, i'm pretty sure you could like people could mistake the soundtrack it, uh, it for the yeah. psycho soundtrack in in parts um uh, there's a shot that i really liked uh if there was one scene that i really liked it'd probably be this one to be honest and it's when annie is uh hitchhiking mm-hmm. and uh, a car stops and you know someone gives her a lift and she just runs in and throws her bag into the back and then annie is like saying you know thank you or whatever or, or says the place she wants to go to the driver but then what took me by surprise is you don't see the driver and there's no response and there's nothing yeah and that caught me off guard in a film which up until that point for me at least was just super predictable mm. and uh i just found that bit quite unsettling because in kind of reality and oh gosh i hope i don't touch on any of your themes or anything uh, but i'm just gonna yeah, say this it. thing anyway yeah 
because like in reality like it's like we like who we really are is kind of like hidden by our face mm. or by our mask or whatever and yeah and it was just um I just kind of felt that in that moment and um but yeah and then you know it, literally within a couple of minutes our lead character is kind of like killed off in the first act you know who I mm. thought was the lead character Annie you know which I kind of built a little mini bond with you know mm. and uh and I think that's what makes deaths and horror movies more effective like when you have like as you mentioned like once you have kind of built a connection with the character yeah. and then they die and you know you do feel lost but yeah I was just gonna say I I completely um on the same line with you in terms of kind of the the evil character the villain of this film is silent throughout three quarters of it and you never see them but you see the characters reactions to them and I think it was such an interesting way of doing that that kind of point of view of the murderer um and you don't know if it's a man or a woman you know clearly we find out later that it is a woman but that's not Mm. what you expect no um and you know when Annie's kind of running away from this assailant and you see the view of the assailant and you don't hear anything like no. there's no kind of I'm going to get you or grunting or anything coming from that. and it's really disconcerting when you don't yeah. have a picture to play with you know when you see something out of the corner of your eye it's there you can see it and it's tangible but when you're behind the the villain it's almost like you're having to see it through their eyes without mm. ever knowing who they are and I just think it would it would be a really I'm sure that it's been done, but it'd be a really interesting kind of who done it crime movie as well, where you kind of see all the deaths from the the killer's eyes. Um, I did really like that. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a moment where I thought it was. Um... You know the the guy who runs the camp or owns the camp. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like uh, for a moment, I did think it was him because they both kind of drove out in similar cars. Yeah, they're really similar. And yeah, I, I'm pretty I, sure you see that car like three times, and different people are driving it. And I'm like, yeah. what is with this kind of blue jeep that everybody loves? <laughs> I think the first time you see him, it doesn't have the roof, and then you see it when the killer's driving, it has the roof on. Right. And then later on, you see it with that trailer in the back or whatever. But, yeah. So I think they just kind of chop it and change it a little bit just to make it look like it's a different car oh yeah yeah which I thought was quite clever considering the low budget yeah true for a budget mm. point of view because I was like why have they chosen I thought it was to throw us off to make us think that it was him and I think that was the point because yeah because you think it's him for ages the, the the camp manager or owner but then he's been at the diner the whole night yeah that these kids have been killed and then you're like oh it can't be him exactly and so then you have to think about who it could be yeah yeah no no 100% um I also liked how in this movie a lot of the shots are just really drawn out mm. and sometimes the camera just lingers on people or things or whatever and it just kind of just allowed scenes to breathe like nothing felt rushed like yeah you know, it didn't feel like you know with a lot of modern movies you're kind of like cut 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 you move you know just, you know to keep up the pace you're kind of artificially in a way kind of like speeding up the pace of the movie and it just kind of like just the long drawn out uh shots just allowed me to kind of just take in this you know a fairly beautiful place like you know i like the shot like where the sun's setting over the lake and it's coming to the mm. evening you know then you kind of see like a little beaver swimming around and the, yeah. the like it's it's kind of cool it kind of makes you kind of plants you in the in the in the place uh, a bit more which I thought was kind of cool yeah uh, I also appreciate how the movie is set at the camp but before the camp is going to open mm-hmm. so I thought that was a kind of a clever way to save on budget <laughs> yeah well. that's such a good point yeah yeah and uh and I also like that last bit where um you know the music gets all kind of lovey-dovey and a bit kind of soulful or whatever mm-hmm. and when, when uh, Alice is on the boat on her own and then yeah. suddenly Jason's corpse jumps 
jumps out of the out river nowhere. out of the lake yeah. and then yeah takes her into the water. I thought that was really cool. Did you have like a uh, sorry uh, before I ask you um, about your favorite moments of the movie? Did you have like a favorite death scene? Yes, I did actually. My favorite one was um, Jack Kevin Bacon's character because so he he's lying on the bed and I think Ned is dead above him and then yeah. there's that dripping. Uh, blood that yeah. starts dripping on on him and he, he wipes it for a second and what I thought was going to happen was he's going to get up go and see him and then get really scared and run out and that's when yeah. he's going to die but then you find out that the killer's underneath the bed the whole time and actually yeah. stabs him through the, the back of the neck yeah. Um, yeah. and it's scary for two reasons one like it was completely unexpected that that's how he was going to die and I really was like oh my god like that's him done um, and the other reason was like, it was so creepy. The fact that she must've been under there the whole time, like while they were having sex and everything. Yeah. yeah because yeah. it would be quite hard to kind of get under a bed. So she was just in the room the whole time. And especially with the dead body above. Yeah. Like that shocked me as well. And I think that that scene was, it was, it did quite a few things and it did kind of stress me out because it was, I was like, Oh God. I can't figure out how they're going to die. And then that's the way that it happened. I think I was, um, and it's, you know, it's interesting how they show some of the deaths as they happen. And then they show some of them when they're being found after the fact. Yeah. So you kind of have to guess sometimes what's happened to each of the characters. Because I was very surprised that, I can't remember what her name was, but one of the girls ran out onto the um, archery field. Yeah, yeah. Before she gets killed. And I was like, oh, she's definitely going to be kind of harpooned with an arrow. Sure, 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 sure. But she, I don't think she ends up that way. There is one. I don't one remember seeing. That, well, who's the one that's kind of like on the back of the door and felt like covered in arrows? Oh, is that? Because I know that one of the boys is on the back of the door when he closes, oh, someone closes the door. That's probably him. That's probably what I'm thinking about. Oh, no, she went, she was the one that went through the window. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. she didn't Cut. have any arrows. She had she ropes like around ropes. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was quite. I found that quite interesting that they didn't do what you thought they would do, which is kind of use the arrows because she was on the. But yeah, I think those two were kind of. I, I hope I was saying my favorite death of these <laughs> teenagers. <laughs> What about you? No, no, hundred uh, percent. The Kevin Bacon death was yeah. my favorite death scene as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was, but as soon as you said that, I was like, "Yep, we, we agreed yeah. on that as well." So um, I thought the special effects were pretty cool. Like it was so clearly he's probably it's so clearly there's a hole in the bed and yeah. Kevin Bacon standing, and they got like a fake body laying on the bed, yeah. and then because like the skin color of the neck was like a totally different skin color to Kevin Bacon's face. It's like Bacon's kind of orangey and... yellow, isn't it? And it's like yeah, that's, yeah. that's putty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ten out of ten for effort. I thought they did a pretty yeah. good job. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, sorry, before I interrupted you, like, yeah, what were your uh, favorite scenes or moments of the movie? Well, I mean, you kind of touched on it with the whole kind of atmosphere of the film that it is very 1980s. I love the costumes. I loved the set. I loved the fact that it felt like a real camp. You know, they couldn't get the sinks to work in some scenes. The electricity kept going off. They looked cold. They looked wet. Like they just, it felt like a real camp and I could feel myself being there. You know, even then playing Strip Monopoly, it felt like a very real thing that kids would do yeah, when they're by themselves. Absolutely, yeah. And just like you said, I really appreciate that it was the camp before it opened because having loads of, not just for the budgetary thing, but having loads of kids around and they're, you know, they're trying to help them. And, you know, there's a lot that would be going on if the camp was open. So it's quite nice that they did it beforehand, I think. I, I yeah, I appreciated that. Um, 
there was a few scenes that I liked that I thought were quite interesting. Um, I liked the snake scene. So when Alice is in her room and she sees a snake and everybody else comes running in and they're kind of frantically searching for the snake. And I think Ned ends up chopping the snake's head off. um, Yeah, with his machete. With his like machete thing, which I have no idea why he has that. Um, (laughs) And, you know, that's that, that foreshadowing to the end of the film where Alice ends up lopping Mrs. Voorhees' head off in one swoop, which was <laughs> incredibly funny. <laughs> and, <laughs> and the way her her, um, her hands clenched as she kind of fell to the ground. Um, that was hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing. I think those were, um, those were man hands because they were like... Oh, yeah. They also like covered in hair, the palms and the... I mean, the um, this part of the hand, I forget. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the arms were hairy. Uh, so I, I think they must I have know- had a stunt person or something, maybe. Um, they must have, because I also yeah. noticed that when um, the the person slashes Annie's throat, they're kind of like man hands. It looks like a man is mm, doing it. And so yeah. I was like, oh, well, because you would definitely be able to tell if it was a woman. So I think they were just trying to trick us by not. Yeah, just but then they used the stunt, yeah. yeah, but then they used the stunt double for her end scene. But I like that they kind of did that foreshadowing with the snake and... That was, yeah, um, I, never, I didn't pick up on that actually. So that's quite clever. Well, because I didn't know what was going to happen. I wrote in my notes, is this foreshadowing? Is someone's head going to be chopped off? And <laughs> end up happening. So um, I also kind of liked the, did The Shining come before or after this film? It was same year, but I'm not sure which, uh, I'm not sure if it was before or after. Because I don't know if it's a throwback or if this is the original axe through the door when Mrs. Voorhees oh. is, is trying to get to Alice while she's in the yeah, pantry. Yeah. They probably uh, would have been filmed around about the same time. If, if anything, I bet The Shining was probably filmed before. Yeah. Because this film was shot in 28 days, I think it was. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kubrick's notorious for taking like a million takes for a movie. Yeah. So that was probably filmed in the late 70s, I would have thought. Right. Yeah, because there is a definite Shining vibe while mm. she's axing her way through that door. But before yeah. that happens... I think the creepiest bit for me was when Alice was lying on the floor in the pantry by the door, thinking that Mrs. Voorhees had left. And then you see the doorknob slightly shake of the pantry as she's trying to open it. And that just sent like a shiver down my spine. I thought, (laughs) oh God, she's back and she's going to get you this time. So I I did like that kind of, I think that was the only bit of the film where it felt very full of suspense because most of the film no one knows what's going on because they're all being killed one by one and then when they're out in the open it's not scary it's just like okay a fight for survival but there's that small pocket of time where you're hiding they're trying to find you where the suspense is at its highest and I think that's in that scene when she's in the pantry and then Mm. it you know then she breaks her way through and that's kind of it the suspense is done um, but for that, those kind of few seconds, I thought that that was really good. I like that. God, just admit it. You like the, you enjoyed the movie for <laughs> a brief moment. <laughs> Don't worry. I think I've got more that I didn't like than I did like. <laughs> I'm the other way around this time, actually. So. <laughs> God. Uh, well, since you mentioned that, uh, go on. <laughs> Hit me. What didn't you like yeah. about the movie? Well, I mean, it's only a few things, but I I do feel like this film, it did miss a few opportunities to scare us. Mm-hmm. And I think it could have done a bit more with that suspense. Um, yeah. You know, using that point of view and maybe looking looking through a window and moving away from the window and you know you catch glimpses of something that's slightly strange and and something kind of builds up in the background because this very much feels like two separate films there's a film about camp counselors who are having a good time playing monopoly 
and the lights go out. And then there's slowly people being killed in this other part of the film. And they're not connected for ages. Like there's no, like I said, there's no kind of suspense or scary element to it for the characters that are still alive for ages. And if that had just happened a little bit earlier and there were more characters involved, let's say there are three characters still alive and then they find the first bodies. Like it feels like Alice takes on a lot of that role of, oh my God, we're, you know, because they're all dead by the time she finds them. Yeah, and it's yeah, like there's yeah, no yeah. element element of kind of survival for more than one of the characters no 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 like how with the the descent how they kind of band together to kind of escape mm. and survive and outlive uh, the killer but yeah here they, it's almost they're kind of all divided and conquered before you hit the climax of the movie yeah exactly and i i just wonder whether they could have done a bit more with that and and make that desperation feel a bit more real from yeah yeah from the characters um i also think that it would have been really interesting if mrs Voorhees had been in the film before the ending because there's no like aha it's her moment because we don't know who she is so like if she had come to the camp earlier on and been like oh you know i'm a friend of the guy who owns because she was you know i'm a friend Um, I'm just dropping some stuff off. Is everyone okay? And she's kind of a motherly figure and she's kind of, you know, looking after them a little bit and they trust her. And then when she comes back, Alice is like, oh, thank God it's Mrs. Voorhees. I can like go to her. Everyone's feeling a bit, you know, even the audience can think, oh, finally, like the person that we already trust is back. Um, But because that didn't happen, it, there wasn't like a, oh my God, it's her. It was like, oh, oh, that's different. (laughs) Who's this? Who's this? Oh, it's, you know, makes sense that it might be her. Yeah, it would have been good if um, all of the potential candidates for the killer or suspect were introduced in that opening sequence with Annie when she goes into that corner store yeah. or that store. If you know, if you know, and you know, each one of those faces are kind of planted in our minds because there's a moment where you see the crazy old guy and the police officers like the crazy old guy might be here. He's a bit crazy mm. or whatever. It would have been cool if Mr. Voorhees was one of those, but yeah. I don't know, just the, so at least that way, mentally, you got an idea of who is clearly one of these guys, but who yeah. is, it, you know, but, but yeah, you're it? right. Yeah. I think because, you, make, you make a great point there. Yeah. Cause you know, there's, there's the scene before the camp owner dies and he obviously recognizes the killer because yeah. he's like, what are you doing here? Or something like that's a, that's something that's done so much now. I wonder whether that was the first one to do it. I don't know. Mm. Um, but to us, it's like, well, there's nobody else really that it, that we don't know who it is. And even when we find out, it's not like, ah, oh, that's who he was talking to. Because yeah. we don't know who, who it is. And even if, like, Mrs. Voorhees could have taken um, Annie to the camp and they could have used her in that scene and been like, I don't know, said something. In, or, or in some way just introduced her earlier on so that we knew who she was. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think they missed they missed it a bit there. Um, I also, this is tiny, but how, so Mrs. Voorhees has been killing people all day and all night. And she doesn't really have time, I don't think, to go home and get changed and come (laughs) back. And she's just wearing the most pristine jumper in the world. And clearly she's just done the most gruesome murders that I've ever seen. And she's just clean (laughs) and fine. And I was like, oh God, this isn't a murderer. (laughs) I got the the impression, especially from the little glimpses we did see of her legs or arms, that maybe she might have been wearing some kind of overalls or something. Mm, 
but I might just be imagining that now and just planting a fake memory into my brain. Well, she was definitely wearing a coat when she killed Annie because I did pause it to see the man arms um, when they <laughs> slashed they slashed her throat. But yeah, she must have been wearing some sort of coat. But I suppose it could be the juxtaposition between this lovely old older woman who's very clean and looks very normal to the killer that she is. You know, they kind of, and then it's only the fact that she's got a knife that really drives it home. It's, <laughs> it's her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but I think with that, my last thing that it's hard to know if I liked or not. It was just a bit of a like, mm, I, I'm not sure if they could have done more with it. Was the fact that I know Mrs. Voorhees isn't supposed to be the biggest, baddest. No. evil person in the world like she's she's gone you know she's lost her son and and she's clearly dealing with that very badly well that's an understatement um yeah. but she doesn't seem very threatening to me i wasn't scared of her because she really is just a middle-aged woman and alice does like knock her over and run away and they just they seem to be almost like a living level playing field in terms of mm. fighting against each other yeah. and there's no real feeling of like this person is deadly and they're gonna get you uh, that didn't scare me at all because she is just a woman who a middle-aged woman who, yeah you know, uh, and so even if she was just a bit more deranged you know once we find out who she is she can drop the act of this caring woman and she becomes a little bit more unhinged it might have just emphasized that end scene a little bit more and then her death would be much more gratifying because it's like ah you finally vanquished this person who was you know really going for it i don't know uh, it yeah to see what you thought about that no no i i 100 agree it's like the fact that you didn't know who she was prior to her being revealed in the film doesn't really help so there's no build-up and uh what would have been cool is if maybe she was i don't know maybe throughout the movie seen as one of the good characters and this yeah. kind of like refuge for for alice and you know like she's someone alice trusts and whatnot and then maybe there was some kind of reveal that mm. she turns out to be the killer maybe all the, the kind of puzzle pieces start clicking in um, alice's yeah. mind but there was no build-up. I think that, that's the thing that you can't. There was no opportunity to opportunity to invest in her. And mm. um, but you're right. Uh, you're you're 100 right. And it kind of. Um, I mean, you touched upon one of the things I really disliked about the film. Like, um, and it might have been intentional, but the fact that Miss Forey's, you know, she gets knocked down so many times at the end. I think mm. there's like three or three or four times where Alice, mm. you know, kind of subdues her and um but alice doesn't even make an effort to finish her off all she does is oh were you shouting at the screen yeah like like, just kill her (laughs) yeah because she she would hit miss voris and she then voris would fall down and then she'd just run it's like Mm. alice has like a weapon in her hand just bash for miss voris's head in finish it off but yeah it happened and it happened a few times like three or four times with to the point where it's like come on guys come on yeah and um i think the only reason miss four is was kind of elevated a tiny bit as a bad guy is because alice played she was just screaming and falling down all over mm. the place you know so she just seemed so helpless and careless and useless. Mm. Like it just, it, it could have made anybody seem like a crazy yeah. villain or a strong villain. So that didn't, didn't really help. But I mean, she's got youth on her side, so she could have overpowered Miss Or Boy just carried on running. To, you know. Like the fact that she ran back to the cabin that she was found yeah. in in the first place that already had a smashed window. 
yeah there were so many points where I was screaming like oh just keep running just go just get out you could you know there's not much that this woman can do because she won't be able to catch you like you yeah if you throw her over and then hit her over the head you'll be fine but she just never does that (laughs) no 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 but yeah um something that I not necessarily didn't like but I think could be a slight improvement is I would have probably removed the opening murder scene for the film. The one that's like pre Ah, with the two couples, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the one that's like in 1950, whatever. Because I don't actually think that adds anything to the story. I think I would start off directly with an opening shot of this town in the middle of America and you just see Annie yeah. and, you, and you follow Annie right from the beginning and she hears whispers about the, this camp that's meant to be dangerous. Yeah. To her. I would just start straight from there. And then, yeah, because by that point, I think you've seen a murder. You, you kind of, you know, the bar has been mm. set, you know. So I think yeah. having, yeah, I think the film should have been very calm from the beginning and you know kind of like and built you in yeah yeah exactly yeah. Built up to it. that's such a good point I think that would have been so much better and then you have a little bit more leeway to maybe e- even you know do do a bit more with Mrs Voorhees because you've got those few extra minutes or just build up those characters a little more before they all start dying I think that would yeah that would make because you don't need to see their camp counselors being killed at the beginning to be told that by the driver no, no, of the car no, 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 no. just saying oh two people died two camp counselors died and a boy drowned that's kind of all we need to know from the 1950s yeah 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 so yeah so um yeah i would have uh, just got rid of that opening scene um and have one scene i didn't like and i think it was uh it kind of touches upon a, a, a part of the film that you did like was the <laughs> snake scene funnily enough right uh, but for a very different reason so the thing i didn't like about it was i think this is where it kind of got all a bit too slapsticky for me because yeah. she's like i can't remember who it was is screaming oh it's a snake there's a snake and then ned comes in with this big knife and then everyone's like huddled right behind him like mm. the guy a he's a crazy guy to begin with and he's <laughs> like brandishing this huge machete and they're all just like huddled like right behind him like it, he just has to swing that machete once in the wrong direction and it'll take someone's head off like you know <laughs> that would have been a very different film <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just kind of it got a bit too comic-y for me at that that scene mm. like uh a bit too high school drama production kind of yeah you know. especially with all the screaming it's like oh ooh, great yeah 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 but other than that there weren't really very many um things i disliked about the movie uh i, I don't know maybe i'm just being too soft on the film but for me no, up I, until I... this point more likes than dislikes i feel like you know this and our episode on drag me to hell i think you have a better ability to just be able to enjoy a film for what it is you know you don't have to pick apart every film you know i there were parts of this film that i enjoyed but you know and that should just be it like sometimes it's just like quite enjoyable to watch something even if the acting's not very good and there are bits that might be a bit different you know it's still fun to watch and sometimes that's kind of all it needs to be yeah so i think um i mean on this show we've reviewed some bad movies and we've reviewed mm. some good movies so i think we can call a spade a spade we and generally generally we both agree are in in agreement on our reviews but mm. i think with 
with this movie, I think I'm probably giving it a bit more leeway because it is such a super low budget movie. And mm. also it kind of reminds me of the days when I used to make films with my friends mm. and it's just got this kind of guerrilla kind of feel to it, this kind of student mm. filmmakery thing. So I think I can just totally imagine all the special effects just put together by some friends that found like, I don't know, a water balloon and filled it up with ketchup and like, it's just yeah. got that kind of vibe. And I kind of appreciate that. I mean, funny enough, Tom Salvini, I think his name is the guy who did the special effects for this and went on mm. to do like, you know, Land of the Dead and all these other zombie movies. Wow. And he's like a, he's held in higher regard for like these kind of 80s kind of uh, slasher type horror movies, like his kind of mm. makeup and whatnot, like gory makeup and whatnot. It's like, is held in regard by horror fans. Mm. And, uh, but yeah, it just felt like, I mean, I've said this like a thousand times, but I just love that student filmmaker vibe of it. And um, I think uh, that I read something about every set on this movie was a real place. And I think the only mm. thing they had to build themselves was the was the bathroom set. Okay. But everything else was real. And yeah, but maybe, um, I don't know. I think I also kind of went in fully expecting to not like the movie. So it's kind of, a, it kind of exceeded any and all expectations I had and, and um, as I kind of touched upon with the Drag Me to Hell episode, like any kind of uh, expectation for the film was set out very early on. And just that mm. whole kind of Z movie mm. quality was kind of there at the beginning. So I kind of went in thinking, okay, it's going to be one of those this is what movies. We're guessing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that I was looking into um, about this film was the fact that it is this kind of low rated, not low rated, but kind of low quality, low budget film. Yeah. And I was wondering why they did that. And, I, you know, I read that Sean Cunningham admitted that he completely ripped off Halloween, yeah. um, which came off because it grossed, I think, something like $47 million on a $300,000 budget or something like that. Like it did sure, amazing sure, for sure. what it was. Yeah, yeah. I've got a quote from Sean Cunningham. He said, basically, and this is you know, the plot of Halloween that he completely ripped off. Basically, you start with a prior evil that happens before the movie opens. You have a bunch of randy teenagers who are outside the help of formal authority. Adults cannot come and save their asses, and you knock them off one by one, especially the ones who fornicate. And at the end, the evil genius is found. Like, that's the film. Like, they've they've just yeah. done the same thing as Halloween. And and I kind of like that, that they've just completely ripped off a film that did well and was like, what should we do? How, how can we make this slightly our own? And that kind of makes it better in my mind, the fact that yeah. they kind of just <laughs> did it for that reason. Yeah, and, I think um, loads of uh, horror movies back then were riding the coattails of Halloween, weren't they? Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that, you know, it's had 10 sequels and <laughs> Sean Cunningham is baffled by the success of this film. Because he said, the movie has no emotional impact on me at all. The characters were thin at best. <laughs> like, yeah. he didn't really realise why it did so well. So the film grossed over 400... So the films all together have grossed over $468 million at the box office worldwide. And it's the highest grossing horror franchise in the world until... And it's quite a nice kind of circle, Halloween in 2018. And so when that was released, that put the Halloween franchise in the top Back spot. Top. So right. Halloween and, and 
you know, Friday the 13th have kind of battled it out to be the best kind of slasher horror for for years. You know, there was a Friday the 13th in 2009. There was a Halloween in 2018. Like it's a testament that these things can carry on, that people still love them because it is a bit of fun. You can just enjoy seeing people being murdered in this kind of sick and twisted way. Um, And the movie doesn't make you feel much like Sean Cunningham said, like, it's not supposed to have an emotional impact on you, really. No, I think that's when 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 critics kind of rip to, sh- I suppose, a modern day kind of parallel or whatever would be the Conjuring universe. Mm. And uh, so like when critics kind of rip into like Curse of La Llorona or one of the Annabelle movies and says it's shallow and whatever, it's like, what the hell are you expecting? In about 20 yeah. years time, people are going to look back at those films and just think that they're just another long series of low rent yeah. horror movies that they just watch just to be scared for two minutes or whatever you know exactly and I think that's the fun of it the fun is sometimes just to be able to let go and and you know it's slasher films I've never been a massive fan of not because for any reason other than I haven't seen very many and it's never been part of the kind of portfolio of horror movies that I watch but I do have to admit that I had fun watching this film and yeah I just like the backstory that they just kind of (laughs) went for it and they were like right we want to make some money let's just completely copy Halloween and see if it does well and it worked and clearly audiences love it and I guess that's the reason why is because you get that enjoyment that you know an hour and a half and I think I've seen a lot of people call this film it's a movie not a film like if you're wanting a film that goes really in depth into this kind of emotional character development this is not the film for you it's a movie it's a one-stop shop for any everything slasher like you said retro Americana and that's just kind of what it is yeah 100 <laughs> percent. something that you just uh, reminded me of I wish I could have mentioned it earlier on during the casting but you know uh the character Marcy mm-hmm. who who does it with Kevin Bacon <laughs> I was convinced like that she was Sally Field she looked a lot like Sally Field Yes, she looks so similar. Yeah, I thought that was Sally Field, but then when I did a bit of Wikipedia-ing, uh, it turns out it wasn't Sally Field. But something I found out afterwards, <laughs> the actress Sally Field was originally offered the role of Alice. Really? And she yeah. turned it down? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she turned it down. Well, it, I remember seeing somewhere um, that Adrian King, who did play Alice, um, she said that her audition wasn't really an audition she basically just had a scene and then when here's my picture I'm young and I can scream like and then they were like okay you can do it that was literally it <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, yeah the director I think when he was cast in the movie I think his I think he said something like he just wants a bunch of pretty teenagers that look like they'd fit into a Pepsi commercial yeah and everything all of this just makes me like the film more like the fact that it is just supposed to be this way. <laughs> yeah, it's just silly. It's, I mean, but I can totally imagine that it was probably terrifying back in the day, like seeing like a knife so explicitly go through someone's neck yeah. or whatever. So yeah, I agree. I think audiences today, this is so tame. Massive. But audiences in the 1980s, like you know, it it's probably scary in terms of just like gory and graphic. And also the fact that, like, we don't hitchhike today. We don't kind of... But people in the 1980s, they're watching a modern horror. Like, they're they're watching things that happen to them. Like, they could be a teenager hitchhiking, trying to find their way to a camp. Like, it just feels very removed for us. Because, like you said, it feels like you're stepping into a bit of history. The costumes are all very dated to us now. The hairstyles are all feathered. 
you know it's it's very dated but for an, a modern audience or a, a contemporary audience I'm sure there is that element of oh this could happen to us when we're next to a camp or like I, I don't want to hitchhike because what if you know I, I'm stuck with a maniac I can see how it would be very different for different audiences so uh silly what are your closing thoughts and uh fright fix rating for this movie so I mean when I when I watched this film I went in like you like you did with quite low expectations because any kind of retro horror film I've seen the CGI isn't great it's not scary they're just kind of classic horror films that I feel like people should watch because they're yeah. they're interesting sure, I also sure. didn't have very high hopes because I know that this is a slasher film so it's it's very much rooted in a killer killing off people and you yeah. kind of know what's going to happen that's not the point but when you watch the film I was entertained and I was invested in the film might not have been invested in the characters per se because I knew they were going to die, but I was invested in the film. And I think what you said about the fact that it just makes you think of a different time and you get to see these shots of a really, you know, beautiful kind of camp life. And there's a lot of things about this film that are very nostalgic, even if it's not your own nostalgia. Like I don't have any nostalgia from 1980s America, but I feel it. Um, And so there are so many things to enjoy about this film. And I think you definitely do need to just take it with a pinch of salt in terms of it's not going to be a fully worked storyline that they've covered every basis like we've gone through a few reasons why how it could have been better um but just allowing it to be what it is I think makes this film quite unique and also the fact that this is one of the firsts to do a lot of these things um it does make it a bit of a relic um that's the word I would use as well yeah yeah it's a relic and I think a relic should be um that it should be revered in the world of kind of horror films you know we should think of Friday the 13th as you know it, it has created a massive series of films and it's been referenced in so many other films oh yeah like how like the amount of times that deaths at a camp have been referenced or Jason's been referenced absolutely I mean it struck the hearts of so many people I think especially horror fans um, and so I think, yeah, for all of its kind of bad elements, there are so many good parts of it as well. Um, so for my rating, after all of that, um, <laughs> I think, it, I, I guess it depends what we rate it on. Absolutely. Yep. You know, 100%, if we yep. if we rate it on it being the scariest, it's going to get a really low score, obviously. If we rate it on the quality of the film, it's probably going to get quite a low score. But if we rate it on entertainment factor on, you know, well, yeah, entertainment factor and the the fact that we enjoyed it, it'd probably get a bit of a higher rating. Um, But I think for me overall, I'm going to give it a six out of 10. And I think the reason I'm going to do that is yes I enjoyed it but there are there are films that I've seen that have warranted a higher rating because I really felt either connected to the characters or connected to the story and I just didn't have either with this so I'm giving mm. it a six because of the fact that it's um it's it's a 1980s slasher that has done so much for the kind of beginnings of the this idea but I can't give it a high score in terms of overall no no hundred percent hundred percent hear what you're saying yeah yeah and I think uh, I think you've given it a fair score okay good what about you what's your fright fix <laughs> 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 um 
Well, I mean, just on a side note, I think uh, a great companion piece to this film is a, a film called The Final Girls, which is a movie from 2015. It's not a horror so I don't think we'd ever review it on this show but it's kind of a more of a comedy kind of thing mm. and it's uh it's a movie that is set in present day uh and it's based on the daughter of an actress who starred in a famous camp uh horror movie from back in the day oh. so, so so that actress had died in 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 the movie very early mm. on and when her daughter uh people find out that this is the daughter of the actress. And every now and again, they have this kind of uh, film festival where they play that old movie. Right. So, but in the theater, what happens is a bunch of friends, including that girl, get transported into the movie where her mother's in there. And it's it's like they've been transported into Friday the 13th. It's that. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's on Netflix. So definitely watch it. I don't want to tell you what happens next. But anyway, I think it's a great companion piece to this because I feel right. like that, that, that movie embraces the silliness of Friday the 13th mm. and it kind of helps you kind of and I think it's because I'd watched that first yeah a lot of Friday the 13th started making a bit more sense to me not and not at a story level but just in the broader context or, and just the mm. broader goofiness of the movie yeah uh, yeah so it's called The Final Girls Celia I recommend okay. you watch it and if I you're listening will. whoever's listening I recommend you watch it as well but anyway that's just the that's kind of went on a bit of a tangent there so I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I went into this movie fully expecting to find it tedious and boring and outdated, but I was pleasantly surprised by the simplicity of the story, and mm -hmm. I did not expect myself to enjoy it as much as I did. And I, I had a fantastic time with this film. Like, I mm -hmm. really, really enjoyed it. I really, I can't express how much I like this film, purely mm -hmm. at, for a I mean, I keep, I sound like a broken record now, but just the whole low budgetness of it, the whole mm. guerrilla style, I really liked it. And I also liked the naturalistic cinematography and yeah. it, just not very much of it felt synthetic. And uh, yeah, I generally like the effective use of low budget. And uh, I mm. like that, you know, the movie used a cast of unknowns, uh, I, mm. I assume, at, at least at the time, which kind of added a little bit to the who will survive kind of aspect yeah. uh but it's pretty obvious we kind of know who's going to survive but i kind of enjoyed yeah. it once that lasted and uh and now i'm very curious about the rest of the series to be totally honest yeah <laughs> i know i mean it feels like from what i've seen a lot of the kind of idea of what friday the 13th is around jason i know clearly that didn't happen in the first film so it no. must start to materialize over the next few films so yeah that would be, be interesting to see it'd be nice to see the evolution of this and uh to see but what... how they do 10 i don't know <laughs> how they do oh. 10 friday the 13th <laughs> i have no idea what they they must run out of ideas by the end <laughs> i hope they don't to be honest i mean and, and just like overall was the movie scary not today no but i can totally believe it was back in 1980 mm. now i kind of had a bit of a conundrum in my head with scoring saying and just hearing you verbalize your kind of like mm. you know you know how you would score the movie depending on which criteria mm. like if just purely on entertainment value and just how silly it was i would give it like a 10 out of 10 like yeah. i just I, I really enjoyed this film uh but we you know as we've said in the past we are fright fix and we've got to kind of yeah. be a bit more serious about our score was the movie scary no was it no. 
yeah, does it leave you with any lasting impression or any kind of psychological impact or connection or anything? Mm. No, not really. Other than a few fleeting moments, possibly. Uh, and on that basis, as a Fright Fix movie, I would have to sadly probably give it a four out of ten. Okay, so that's way lower than I thought you'd give it. No, so, so it's kind of like conflicted. It's kind of like you got your horror integrity in one hand and then you got your entertainment <laughs> value in one hand. So if I kind of scored this film any higher, it would be unfair to some movies that genuinely were making an effort, yeah, yeah. if that makes sense. So it's kind of like an internal struggle, like what do you go for? Entertainment or yeah. horror? You know, and we I think we we set the the standard quite high with our scoring with movies. So so I think on yeah. average, it kind of brings our scores down to about a five out of 10, I think. Which I think is is fair. But I think you, like, you touched on something that this film didn't try. And I wonder whether that might be the reason why the scores are a little bit lower. Because it, yeah, because it's not trying to be anything that it's not. That's what's good about it. But it's also what lets it down a, a yeah. little bit. Because you, if you don't try in something, you're not pushing any boundaries or you're not, you know, but... Is that the point of this film? It's really hard to tell, isn't it? Like if, yeah, we kind of need two different scales of entertainment value versus horror fright fix value. And I think they'll be very, very different for each of them. We hope you enjoyed this month's fright fix. Join us next month as we'll explore a new horror film. We will be posting the movie a few days before the podcast episode is released on our social media. So be sure to follow us at fright fix if you want to watch the film ahead of time. If you would like to send us a message or want us to cover a scary movie on an upcoming episode, please feel free to contact us on Instagram or Twitter or email us at podcast at frightfix.com. See you next time.